Oh yeah. Welcome to the Yang Gang Roundtable. It is 11:20 Friday, July 3rd, 2020. I'm here with Faye, Jeremy, Moto, Sheridan. We are a basic income advocacy podcast, and we usually talk about electoral politics, poverty, and uh, the news cycle. So, how's everybody doing today? I'm off, sort of. Aren't off. we all? Whoa! And then someone disappeared. No, it was Jeremy. just Jeremy. Okay, Jeremy, he's back. All right, just a little technical <laughs> snafu there. Uh, so you're you're off, you say? Yeah, holiday. Oh, right. Oh, oh yes, Fourth of July weekend. Oh, right. We're getting it off on uh, on the third because the fourth is a Saturday, and damn it, we're owed. Right. <laughs> yeah. All right. All right. Well, let's be patriots. Indeed. Uh, what is what's going on in the world today? Well, uh, thank you, Shale. I'm Sheridan. I wanted to uh, get us started today with uh, talking about the past 50 to 60 years of the left being severely fractured and our Overton window moving incredibly right. And I wanted to draw some parallels for the uh, leftists that listen to us to the women's movement and how they actually got the right to vote over the span of several hundred years. Uh, The reason I want to draw this parallel is because traditionally women were very fractured across societies, and when we actually started getting organizations of democracy, that was really when I would peg the start of their fight. Um, They, uh, over several hundred years, started out as where they uh, were in previous societies as just uh, servants or helpers to the uh, male counterpart until we actually got to a point where we needed the labor of women, specifically in the early 1900s when we started World War I and II. Well, joined World War I and II. Uh, As women gained the economic mobility from these massive movements, uh, they uh, actually were able to start meaningfully organizing and actually getting things out because they could spend on politics. And the uh, left is fractured around three big ideas, which are all equally important. Uh, Medicare for all, ranked choice voting, and uh, basic income, or some variation of those on depending on what flavor of left uh, you are. Um, and we should all really coalesce around basic income to get the money into our hands for politics to take place. And then we can get ranked choice voting, Make our democracies more, fr- make our democracy more free, and then get all the other things that we need to do. But that, that was my short list sounds, feel. That sounds like the tactical move. I I completely agree, and I, I think I understand. Um, the key is is getting more people on board with that line of thinking. I think, right? I just want to know your guys' thoughts. I think. Uh, well, I, I'm always talking to Shell about uh, kind of conditions determining the possibility of the horizon. Uh, I think. Maybe six, seven months ago, I think the uh, conditions were better for pushing for something like Medicare for All. That's why Bernie got as much uh, headway as he did. Uh, it turned out not to be enough. I think now, with the pandemic and whatnot, I think what would have been a much heavier lift for uh, UBI becomes, uh, at least in theory, a lot easier. A lot of more people see the need for direct cash payments. So I, I would say now uh, the window, I would agree with that at this point, uh, although keeping in mind that the uh, the horizon does shift and change depending on uh, the conditions that are happening. 
Could you uh, move your microphone a little bit away from your mouth? It's very distorted. I don't know if I can because it's a headset, but okay, I will try. That sounds a little better, but um, yeah, uh, there was a big push for Medicare for all that had been years and years and years and years in the making. I think, and frankly, it was a little bit stale, for lack of a better term, because the opposition to it had been so rehearsed, so ossified, it's like the same exact arguments had been trotted out decade after decade for and against basically, you know, some variant of single payer health care or closer to it. Um, so I think with the, uh, I f- yeah, if I could jump in real quick, I think sure. Medicare for all is pretty much off the table right now, considering Joe Biden's going to be the nominee. And he's been a very outspoken critic against Medicare for all. Um, so I, I, I think that, yeah, we should, uh, the left should coalesce around basic income because Medicare for all simply is not going to happen between now and the next four years. Well, I mean, keep in mind, too, he's uh, no fan of UBI either. You're, you're, you're going to run into that institutional resistance either way, I think. Yeah, but if, um, if a basic income hits his desk as president, would he veto it versus would he veto a Medicare for all? I think I he mean, would veto, veto both. Yeah, honestly, but, but, he's, yeah. he's an obstacle. Really? Yeah, I think so. I think I, I think he is a, an ideologue and a neoliberal, and does not believe that it would be okay if if people had the opportunity to stop working because that would just be immoral. Just because I think that's the root of the logic he will go to because he's a very very old man and he has a lot of people around him who tell him that, and he wants to preserve his legacy. <laughs> There's no such it. thing as creativity as a job. Hey, is this though? Hey, I sound like ass. It's okay, Deston. <laughs> It's well, thank you for, for coming, even though you sound and presumably feel like ass this time. It's good to hear from you. It's been a little while. How how you doing? Outside of my voice being like I ate a few frogs, I mean, I'm not too bad. I'm starting to wake up. Well, thanks again yeah, I, for joining us. Yeah, glad you're here, man. But, um, Hi, I, think, uh, I think the possibility of a um, of Joe Biden passing some kind of basic income um, is, is possible. I think the chances are greater than zero. Uh, would it be highly means-tested? Uh, probably, but I think it's a step in the right direction. I think what you'd get from him isn't uh, universal basic income. I think you'd get uh, maybe a couple of one-time cash payments, uh, according to you know, like the one like the one we had. I think that would be where he'd uh, cut it off. The problem with Joe Biden for for both of those programs is he's a big believer in austerity and, and balanced budgets and that kind of thing. And any kind of new uh, entitlement is going to pretty much be dead in the water with him. So you think a federal jobs guarantee would be more likely to pass than either of those two through Biden? No, I don't think any of those would pass. They're really? not somebody who's going to expand a uh, the uh, entitlement system in any way. So the real question is, do we actually finally have enough of a right-wing Democrat that's going to be the nominee to get progressives to finally dem-exit and give us the real progress we need? I hope so. I mean, there was the, the Green uh, Party is this year. find out sort of push from the, the Bernie supporters, so I hope that, that we fuck around and find out. I'd like to find out if you guys all identify as progressives here. It's such a meaningless uh, term, you know, because it's 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 so personalized. Yeah, I think it's been diluted to the point of absolute meaningless. I mean, what what does progressive mean? It, it's to, to the left of I don't know uh, Reagan or Clinton or I, I don't I don't know. It doesn't really tell you much about anybody's politics these days. 
I mean, everybody who is... What about the word leftist? Do you follow, uh, do you consider yourselves on the left? More and more, I find that thinking about anything from a sectarian perspective is just counterproductive. So I just don't, I try just to simply not identify at all these days and just approach things logistically. I think I... Yeah. Um, I, I go with shale on that because, uh, Faye, you said leftist, and the first thing that popped in my head was what um, Trump and everyone else on the right trying to paint that as some sort of, you know, bad thing, the same way that they, the 50s painted communism and socialism as bad, the same way that anything that's not pure. Ayn Rand, neoliberal capitalism is, you know, bad. That's what they want. They want us to all think that the only way forward is status quo, and that's it. Uh, to answer your question, Faye, I, I have considered myself a leftist for a long time. I'm sort of reconsidering it, not because I I've feel like I've become more right-wing, but I, I feel like the sort of the the class character of what is the the core of the left is uh a lot more upper class than i'm comfortable with so i would kind of like hem and haw on it i mean you know i I wouldn't say i'm not a leftist but i I have reservations at this point so i i would absolutely be considered a left leftist in american politics but in uh european and global politics i'd be more center-left yeah, likewise for me too. It's uh, uh, probably left and left to center on most issues, but um, there definitely are some, uh, I guess you could say, conservative ideologies that uh, that I do subscribe to as well. I mean, I can uh, sub- subscribe to a few of them too, but a lot of that has to do with me coming from a more rural area, and I'm not as against guns as most. I am for um, sensible gun ownership and requiring either more extensive background checks or a licensing program like a car would, but it's not like I'm saying that all guns are bad. Just, you know, who the hell uses an AR-15 to shoot a deer? If you're using an AR-15 to shoot a deer, you're putting so many holes in the deer, there's hardly any meat left. Yeah, I mean, guns are, are a good example of something I, I don't really, like, care about that much and uh, i guess that puts me at odds with i mean well, i guess it depends what part of the left you're talking about but uh i i just don't think it's a very material uh, subject at all you know you you can you can come back to that uh, with the uh, culture war once you have like a like a fully functioning society and determining you know what kind of society you want to live in but i think right now it's uh, at most a symptom i think if yeah you correct me i'll just say i'm a non-sectarian and I'm, i'll just say that 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 identity politics is a big part of the problem and if i participate in identifying myself via a fundamentally broken system the identity is going to be fundamentally a a problematic thing so i'm trying to avoid identity-based reasoning entirely and i have to say i'm a non-sectarian or perhaps even an anti-sectarian politically right now i i kind of see that but i mean at the same time there's also a difference between um identity that is uh descriptive and uh versus uh identity that's sort of forced upon you <clears throat> and i think uh, uh I, I think you know if you personally identify yeah. with something and it describes you that's just a shorthand i mean you know you're you're all yang gang you <clears throat> that's an identity not a very you know it's it's not the same thing as as the ones that people feel like 
define their lives in terms of uh, being forced upon them, which I think is are the kinds of identities that we kind of need to undermine. But uh, you know, you can also well, fall into the trap with with chosen identities too, where you you feel like you have to conform to the, uh, the line. I have a second question. That's another follow up. After we, well, we've asked two already. This is the the third one. Is do all of you consider yourselves feminists? Yeah, right. Yeah, I mean, I would give the same kind of answer for a very long time. I would say yes, absolutely. But that was when feminism it was understood to mean that you value women exactly the same amount as men. Uh, you know that you believe women can do everything men can do, and that you you don't have a, a bias towards one right? you you love women just like you love men yes you know you love all people you know that's that's kind of i feel like feminism is part of it's like half of humanism right but but now it means uh some things that if i say yes then people can that opens me up to uh the vulnerability of being purity tested right and i go on, it can go into an entire like inquisition type direction so i again will say you know i just i i try not to talk or reason or think in 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 identity terms these days i think it is counterproductive Let's, uh, don't, don't worry about the purity testing. We need to break that down. That's why the left has been fracturing so much that we don't have singular voice on any issue. So most of you actually would consider yourselves feminists, if only. Is um, that the, is that the, there's always an if only. I think there's a. It's uh, was that the the Martin Bailey fallacy where <laughs> I think that often when people are asked, and I'm not saying you're doing this, uh, I think a lot of times when people are asked, uh, do you believe in feminism? And then you say, well, feminism is the idea that women are human. And who would disagree with that? You know, women are full, fully uh, should have all the rights of, of men and even, you know, things that put them on, on parity with men, like uh, birth control, access to birth control and that kind of thing. But uh, then that's also used to hide a lot of other things that are much more controversial and, and much more debatable. So yeah, I, I, I did when I was younger identify as a feminist, but I, I stopped, I want to say about 10 years ago and I would say generally not, although that would be my explanation. I'm very much believe in the agency and uh, rights of women, but uh, the theory and uh like third wave intersectionality and things like that are, are things I have a lot of issues with. Yeah, just to re the term has been so politicized that I feel like it's, it's dangerous to engage in the discussion. Like there's no way I can engage in the discussion uh, without taking on a bunch of, of baggage that causes people to think things about me that aren't true. It's yeah. like this, this insidious miscommunication <laughs> sure. baked into the discourse. You're also a guy. There's no real way for you to talk about it aside from helping and dismantling. That's what I'm. Okay, well, so that's the thing. I think that where we went wrong, supposedly on the left, if you cast the left as everything that is change, that is not, you know, what's happening right now, and you call that, you say, what's happening now is conservatism. And then you say, any, any type of change is left or, uh, you know, progressive, then. Uh, this is where we have a problem. Is we ha we're, we're saying, of course, we've radicalized them by our discourse. Um, look at church. If you are a Christian, and you know there are radical Christians out there who say a bunch of stuff you don't agree with, but you don't suddenly go, I'm not a Christian anymore because of those guys, you know, because I don't want to be associated with them. But if you're a feminist, okay, you can easily give up that position, maybe because you're men, but because I'm a woman and a female, 
and femme is in the word, I don't give it up. You know, if you tell me that's not feminism, this is feminism, I'm going to tell you, go fuck yourself. You know, excuse me. <laughs> I'm a woman and I get to define what feminism is for me. Just like Christianity can be defined by a Christian for themselves. Okay, so I can say, well, I, I know there are radical feminists out there, but don't tell me third wave, fourth wave crap. I'm not them. I'm holding my position, and you got to hold it with me, all four of you, or all five of you that are on here with me. If you believe that there is stuff in feminism that you can believe in, uh, reclaim it. Say, I am a feminist, and I don't think that way. Thank you so I much, would Faye. rather um, consider myself a humanist in, in and of itself, and I will explain why right here. Um, Faye. I understand as a woman that you're able to, you know, say what is and isn't feminism. But as a man and someone who is running an LGBTQIA plus charity, I see that within feminism, there's a lot. I'm not saying you're part of this, but I have seen a lot. And you may have seen it recently from J.K. Rowling. There's a lot of anti-trans talk in feminism these days. And it's the same thing if you're a trans woman or a trans man. Like, they will try and say that you're only the gender that you were born as. You can never be anything else. And I do not abide by that because I personally know of many people who may have been born male or female but do not identify as that for one reason or another. The main reason why most men who don't identify as men, as they identify as either non-binary or as female, is because of a lot of the social constructs that are um, imparted to men. And that is something that goes even beyond feminism that we need to fix. We need to fix the toxic masculinity that says men aren't supposed to have feelings. Men aren't supposed to cry. Men aren't supposed to be sensitive. You're supposed to be, you know, the strong buff, you know, can opening, you know, head of household thing. And that's so old and contrived that at this point, it shouldn't even be part of our thought process or our society. But yet it, 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 like the, you know, normal family unit, which is why so many people tried to prevent gays and lesbians from marrying, it's just this 1950s leave it to beaver nuclear family bullshit that doesn't allow us to see things as, you know, a continuum as more than black and white. And it just, frustrates me which is why any and all labels like that frustrate me be it liberal be it leftist be it feminist you know whatever label you have i do not subscribe to anymore because the labels are purely invented by those who want to dissect us into a bajillion different sectors and keep us from unifying and the, I wanted to highlight Faye's point. A Christian knows that there's radical, bad Christians, but they will still call themselves a Christian, is how Christianity is still a religion. That is what I mean by the left fracturing. That's what Faye is trying to point out. We are standing for these issues. We are reclaiming these words so that we can make communication of these issues easier.
that is the point. We have to take these labels and we have to make them meaningful. We need we need to have Adolf Reed on this program with the same group here and more because he is the person to talk to in 2020 about the about the intersection of class and other identities and how it exists in electoral politics and academia and culture in this moment and i i think we could all bridge some communication gaps if he would come on the show jeremy could you you've invited him on the show i believe i have i'll have to double check but i'm pretty sure i have reached out to him so Diston, I do, I do not disagree with you that many of these labels are not useful. <clears throat> but I don't think we should allow um, entire movements or words to be, you know, the words that actually used to mean something that we all benefit from to be <clears throat> changed. That's how the Overton window got shifted, is because they were better at the messaging. So what our message has to be is we just stand our ground. We tell the truth the way we see it. And if they say feminists are this way, we say, well, not all feminists. A lot of feminists aren't. Well, and if they is- say leftists are this way, we say, well, not all left people. There's a lot of people who consider ourselves left, and we're, like, we're not like that. Just like black um, people or any other marginalized group, there are amazing people and there are horrifying people. people I posted something bold. in social yes, that normal. you guys... I posted something in social that I have watched some of that explains exactly why I say what I'm saying. We're not fighting the right. We're fighting the alt-right. We're fighting Trumpers, and they do not understand facts. They do not understand truth. And we cannot... Okay, take see, these- I disagree with that characterization of Trumpers. I, I Again, agree. that's I an epithet. We can't dehumanize them. Yeah. We have to figure out how to reach them. Otherwise, we are lost. They are also yeah, they are people still we can't be divided from. You know why are why is it less valid that we're divided from them than we are uh, among uh, uh, among the left itself? It's and they're, they're voting, they're voting in what they see there. The ones who are in charge, the ones who are you know organizing these anti-mask rallies, the ones that are you know going to the Trump rally in Tulsa despite the COVID outbreak, the people who are in charge of programming on Fox News and One America News Network and Breitbart and Alex Jones and all of that, these are the people that I'm talking about. And these are the people who have been telling the general public that these identifying characteristics that we are using are the most possible negative thing as humanly possible. And, and the solution is not is, to evade the label, I mean, it's to confront the problem and reorient, re-educate. I kind of want to rewind a tiny bit uh, for something Faye said earlier about uh, change being a left thing. And I, I actually would push back on that a little bit, and I think change does frequently come from the right. The uh, if Reaganism, for example, was was... They were radicals at the time. They uh, and, and yeah, they were pushing back to what they saw as kind of a, a traditionalist renewal. But that itself was was a big divergence from the politics of the day. And I think even the Trump movement, to some degree, is uh, radical in, in, in some ways. Uh, I think the word for it would be a revanchist, technically, uh, or reactionary. If that's another word that's kind of been beaten into the ground. But there's and the left, for example, like the, the Clintons and stuff has, has mostly been actually a, a rear guard action trying to protect 
you know, some small bit of the remaining welfare state from the 20th century while uh, during, you know, the uh, neoliberal privatization um, wave that's been going on for the last few decades. So I, I think everybody, I think change can come from either way. And I think even the, the bleed for over for what people want between the left and the right right now is undergoing a, a little bit of an alignment. You've had Trump wanting to withdraw troops from Afghanistan and uh, Democrats stopping him. Yeah, I saw a similar thing with um, uh, Barr trying uh, in his book talking about how he was upset that Trump didn't want to kill more Iranians in retaliation. And, you know, that's not to say uh, Trump's, uh, you know, like a, a dove or, or anything like that, but he's... He's more self-interested than ma- malicious. But he's also pushing back against a lot of entrenched ideas and he, he does get shit for it. And I think we need to kind of see it in a, in a broad scope yeah and I, I i completely agree but if you read like bolton's book or um uh fury fire and fury which i can't remember the author um both of them describe uh this as trump being very self-interested and very focused on what he wants to do as the president as this hero of some movie it's not that he wants to kill people or be malicious. He, he wants to be in a good image because that's who he is. Oh, yeah. I mean, you know, and again, I think to some degree where people are coming from is tends to, to be like overanalyzed. I mean, you know, he is what he does, that kind of thing. It, but um, I, I do think that there, things are so culturally polarized now that we we're not even actually looking at what anyone's doing it's it's just kind of who they're vaguely aligned with oh i agree there's a lot of that uh most americans are agreed on almost every issue at least to uh some extent like a gun control healthcare reform education reform reducing our military budget and uh, reallocating police funds into more public services even basic income is up to 70% approval. I think it's over over that now because of the pandemic. 80%, I think, was the last 80% approval. We all agree on this. It's our leaders who won't represent us. And we have to fight because right now the right is just winning the government game because that's all they want to win. And it might even become a theocracy on the right. I think they're, they would love a market theocracy already. We're not there yet, but we are getting close. I think the right is a lot weaker than people want to think they are right now. It's. Um, I agree because uh, it's out of desperation that a lot of the things that they've been doing. I mean, who would elect Trump if you're is. not desperate? Who would yeah. do so much voter disenfranchisement that you only have one polling station for 60,000 voters? Well, both oh parties, technically, <laughs> after this primary. When you talk about a theocracy, the only theocracy that could be possible in our nation is a Christian is a Christian based one, because that's our you know uh, majority religion. But the majority yep. religion in our country is losing people every day, every Indeed. every week they are losing people from their congregations, and so they're very hard pressed. And I think the the lack of money, the lack of uh, participation in the in the Christian groups is what's really um, scary to them. Maybe their church is doing okay, but every day they get reports of another church closing. So then, you know, it's like, oh, huddle around this one community where it's still working. So um, it's... Their entire way of life is being threatened by progress and change, and this is the last dying gasp of them trying to save it. Well, they've lost the culture war pretty much oh, entirely. Yeah. They, they, they're, it, 
it's yeah. the only the only place that Christianity won was our Caesarian calendar, and even that is being overturned. It's the, the only- problem is they they won the economic victory a long time ago, and they still. But but now it's sort of like turning against them because corporations are complete mercenaries, so they'll they'll fall behind whatever culture you know gives them whatever sales. makes the most profit. Yeah. So yeah, now they're kind of in a position where they they realize that the, the corporations that they defended and, and counted on for their cultural backing for so long are uh, fair weather friends at best, and um, that is something the left really should keep in mind too, because I see a lot of leftists like, oh, you know, the corporations are. Flying rainbow flags and stuff. It's like, yeah, for literally as many minutes as it's profitable. It would be great to reach some, like, you know, uh, really disillusioned Christians on the right, some some morality voters, and go, hey, they're not. <laughs> you're not going to outlaw abortion with uh with the Supreme Court, but if you give everyone money, maybe people will have fewer abortions, huh? Huh? How about it? Yeah. Maybe uh, that will be an argument at this moment in time, huh? My wife, um is a history major and one of the classes she took in college was a woman's studies class because that's part of the um <clears throat> sorry <clears throat> the socio economic part of her degree that she needed and the majority of people who are getting abortions are not poor they're not by any means poor a lot of them are actually middle to upper class women who um, usually because of the way that their relationship is with their husband and their husband controlling whether or not they're allowed to get birth control, um, a lot of them wind up getting pregnant and then having to secretly have an abortion so that they have the right number of kids for them that they can handle, be it two, three, four, instead of a buttload more. And um, they had a couple of speakers come from Planned Parenthood and a few other places that um, either performed or gave referrals for that in the Fargo-Moorhead area. And um, that was legitimately the majority. Um, I think it was like at least 70% were married women with multiple children at home already. There's a, I, I think in general, like abortion was effectively legal and will continue to always be for rich women. They can skirt the laws whenever they need to. Oh, they can fly and transport anywhere. Yeah. The the poor, poor, it's always been about poor women. And unfortunately uh, that's where the access has been uh, constrained in in a lot of States where you, you know, you maybe have one provider and you know, there's tons of loopholes to to, uh, jump through And, and that's, you know, that's that's a huge uh, factor right now. I mean, abortion has been effect like de facto outlawed in, in a lot of states at this point for uh, a lot of women. I mean, Iowa. Hi, Angelo. Thanks for joining us. Hey, Angelo. I don't know if your microphone's working yet or not, but you're here. So to go back I... to some something that uh, that you said a while ago, Don. You know, um, uh, you said these these people are stupid. The the the, the Trump people. And I thought you were talking about the the um the voters, but you're talking about like the leaders, like that you're saying the people who are doing the uh the programming on Fox, the the people who are leading the church congregations who are Republican. Those people aren't stupid; they're complicit and they're no, no. I did not say stupid, Shale. You're taking oh, oh, it you out say? of. I said yeah. that they do not value the truth. Oh no no no! Yes, those people don't value the truth. They 
they can't be like swayed. I mean, they, they they value the truth less than their own personal benefit because they're lying to people. Though, like you're saying, those people who do value the truth are leaving every day. So it's better that we confront those people who had the past bad uh, connotations with like leftism, feminism, and all these actual decent movements for political activism. And we need to re-educate them. The thing is, Sheridan, is after having discussions with uh, people that I've known for years who even formerly considered themselves feminists and some of whom are on the left, they are leaving these movements in droves as well because of some of the radicals within it, which is why I said before, I would consider myself a humanist. If you are human, you have rights, be it man, woman, gay, straight, trans, whatever. All human rights are equal. And that is also something that if you're a an avid studier of um, Apocrypha in Christianity and know a little bit about the potential for Jesus to have gone to the Far East um, during the time and been educated in Buddhism and Confucianism, um, it would be something where, yes, these types of ultimate, um, you know, all humans deserve the same rights and equality. All of this is the most Christian thing that you can do if you are a Christian that believes that you want to walk in the way of Jesus, because Jesus was for helping the poor, helping the sick, helping the prostitutes, helping the helping those whom society had turned its back on and trying to make an equal footing for everyone. I think that's the basis of almost every uh, major religion on earth, honestly. And I completely agree with you. It's very easy to agree with that. But see, okay, humanism is just one label. I think that it might be a better label than feminism, and it actually embodies what feminism really meant. Um, but I think uh, also that when you use the word Trump is a Trump Trumper or something like that, that actually is a somewhat more factual label than left or right, because left or right has too many different policies that can be left or right leaning. Versus uh, if you say uh, a Trumper is somebody who follows and supports a specific person. And that seems like a pretty factual type of uh, more. So I'm more for like more factual labels. Like if you say I'm female and it's a gender, I think there's a factual basis to it. Or if you say that I'm a certain age, you know, people of a certain age think this. When they do a poll like that, I'm like, okay, you know, even though I don't agree with everybody of that, of that age, we may have a lot of different opinions. But at least it's somewhat a factual label and you might be able to say something about people about that way. I mean, we're using a factual label for this right now, Yang Yang. Right, uh, based on based on our um, yeah uh, adherence to principles that uh, that brought us together un- under Andrew Yang. But I mean, even there, I'm not technically a Yang guy, although I am Yang sympathetic. So, eh, <laughs> I mean, there's lots of policies that he had that not very many people actually had looked into because. I mean, the two big ones that he had were UBI and his, um, uh, God, I'm trying to remember right now because I'm having a brain fart. The, democracy dollars? Yeah, democracy dollars. There we go. The one that so, fights yeah. corporate money in politics. 
So there are a lot of policies that we may or may not all agree with. I mean, we probably none of us agree yeah, with like all hundred policies. <laughs> several hundred, but no, see, um, it was like just under two hundred. I agree right. with with like ninety percent of them, but, but so what we don't disagree with very much. So what makes people angry is when other people put it in their mouths and they say, "Gang, gang is like this," and it's not you talking about yourself; it's other people talking about you as if you were a monolith. Right. Because there is no such thing. Same thing right. like when they talk about AAPI. I'm like, wow, we come in every color, every culture, every race. Uh, every, like Americans you know. or America. Yeah. yeah. We're, we're not just one monolith. I'm on the head there, Faye. I was about to say it's almost like people who are making racial stereotypes because it's basically I mean, the racial stereotypes have been along around longer, but it's still someone telling you something that you are based upon something that they perceive or that you have said that you are, but isn't you because you're not saying it. So we have to, I think, uh, be, be careful when we when we talk. Like if we say Trumpers are all like this and they all think that way, uh, that's engaging in the same behavior that we don't want other people to do, right? Yeah, it's uh, it's really hard to get people back to more of like an individual uh, take on each other. Now, I I. I I don't know if it's social media or, or just maybe the times. Oh, it's absolutely mass society. It's the, uh, the, the media, newsprints, uh, smartphones, the broadband access, all of it. I think well, also convenient. it's also <laughs> it's like, convenient. It fits in the tw- that little tweet you have to make, you know, just yeah, yeah. that means those people were done. And it's also like kind of the 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 neoliberalization of marketing culture and whatnot, and how they break people down into you know, different groups to, to more. That's market segmentation. Yeah. Segmentation. I think that has, and and, uh, this might sound a little kooky, but I think on some level we've all kind of internalized the market to a ridiculous degree. I mean, yes, we have, that's what it was intended to do. That's what their um, work for the last 30 plus years has been intended to do. So that way we can fit into a specific box that they can cater to and profit from. If we changed the box we were in, they would change their views to cater to that box. Just like was said earlier about a bunch of these leftists, I mean, I'm using the words that were used earlier, um, praising places for, you know, waving the pride flag and stuff for one month or a week or whatever during the year or the Black Lives Matter stuff that happened. Like, these businesses only jump onto these in order to appear to support them insofar as they want to keep your business. What and also humanism. they like to keep you focused on... You know that issue, and not them being the problem. <laughs> the the corporations are not the problem. This other thing is. Don't worry about us. Yeah, it's a, it's both a survival and a, and a marketing tactic. Humanism is, is just a repackaging of what we already know intuitively, in the terms that the marketplace of ideas can utilize. That is what humanism is, right? No. So, more or less it is. Dictionary definition. Shale. Oh, okay, okay. Uh, it's not the dictionary definition, but I think this is an accurate definition. 
it's well, if part you believe in human rights, you believe in humanism. But All I, I humans pertinent have this, the same rights. This line of discussion that we have internalized the market, right? We have internalized the market so much that now to talk to each other about the things we already know about what is essential to the human condition, we must learn these new terms that are useful in the marketplace of ideas. That is the point I'm trying to make, Don, you know? I understand the point. It's it's definitely one of those things where so many people are internalizing these different boxes and labels to a point where we just seem to be behooven to utilize these labels out of just a need to use a label. Yes. So like all humans should be humanists. I mean, our, our word is in the, it's right in there. And all human rights is a human, exactly. humanist position. A human right is, by definition, something that, you know, and who doesn't believe in human rights anymore? Everybody should be a humanist, if it comes down to that. But somehow, you know, feminism can be, but the, the reason that you need the word fem, uh, humanism is to get away from the old word feminism, which somehow has been tainted, which doesn't mean any, doesn't make any sense, doesn't need to be. I guess the, the, the... The question, uh, and Faye, feel free to answer or not answer, but it, with feminism is, with uh, each successive wave, it seemed like it was, like, the first wave was voting rights, second wave was, like, professional uh, job parity, and, and then the third wave, it became more uh, about, like, sort of micromanaging people's, in, like, personal interactions, and I feel like at some but at that point, the movement was almost trying to justify its continued existence after... So, I want to suggest to you, Moto, that you would have to go into YouTube and excise any contact you've ever had with third-wave feminism because I'll bet that you've actually sought out information about it and now it's being offered to you continuously by algorithms because I have never seen a single third wave feminist in any of my YouTubing or any of my searching or Google searching. The only time I can see it is when other people like you who have told me, oh, here's the third wave. I said, really? Let me go check. And even after I've checked, it's never offered to me. So I want to suggest to you that the algorithms are affecting your, your brain in a way that you may not be uh, aware of and other people as well, that it is not actually a real third wave that is, uh, you know, really effective. Only, I think that it's, I think those kinds of things are, you know, being offered to people who have wanted to find out what it is, and then they just keep getting offered that. Have you ever been offered a regular feminist opinion? You know, I've actually, like I said, I I did consider myself a feminist for a long time. I'm actually very familiar with a lot of feminist theory. I eventually moved away from it. Uh, so when I say third wave, I'm not necessarily meaning like self-identified. It's it's a loose, you know, that's one of those identity useful Perhaps, terms to yeah. describe a set of features um, wherein the the focus moved from one particular realm into uh, others. Now, I'm going to suggest I, to you I, that if you've watched Paget Cagey once, you yeah. might get a chance to watch our show. <laughs> <laughs> or you might get a chance to watch another show that is Yang Gang related. But if you don't watch them, you may never find Annette the Peacemaker. You I mean, may never find, right? I'm, and so I'm, you start I'm, to believe that there's a lot of Yang Gang when they're actually, uh, we're yeah. actually a very small population, piece it's of the true. population. Really and small. nobody else even knows about us. Uh, and to some degree, that's because I, I, I paddle around in, in the world of theory quite a bit. So 
you know, that's. Well, I, so, I, in, believe in my, me, it's not big, and it's not it, it's not practically non-existent for most women of the world, or in even in the United States. Well, see, I, the thing is, I think a lot of the kind of the phenomena we're we're seeing right now, though, grew out of that uh, collegiate academic uh, third wave uh, academic culture at this point. And I think it's gone, it's gone a bit mainstream and maybe people don't realize that's what it is, or maybe they call it something else. Okay. Think about the real women that you know, is your mom like that? Is your sister or your brother or your, you know, some people that you actually know, your, your cousins, do any of them talk like that? I'll bet they don't. Well, no, I don't don't think, I don't think most women are actively feminists either though. So, like, yeah, no, we are. We absolutely are. It, it's just that we can't define what feminism is because we're not vocal enough. We're not out there doing whatever, you know, and being called the third wave. We don't have a label. Okay, but we are the feminists of the world. The real feminists of the world are the women who take care of the children, who, you know, just do stuff like go go to work every day and worry about, you know, taking care of their elderly or, you know, whatever it is that we do. If you're out working, you're a feminist. If you're, you know, I don't care who you are. That's why, that's why I don't agree with the whole words being taken away from us. Like, how did they get taken away? We didn't, we didn't agree to that. Because it was, it was used as a tool to divide us. Let me ask what, in this current day and age, what do you think the utility of the word is? Keeping in mind too, that it's also been uh, somewhat taken away from you, as you say, what, what is the utility of, of reclaiming it and what uh, in in the current cultural uh, conditions and, and political conditions? Well, I identify it as several things. So feminism to me is, first of all, rejecting the idea that women can only talk if we talk like men. So if we talk logic and we talk reason and then we talk about data then and it's factual, then maybe we can be acceptable. But if we just talk from personal experience or we talk about you know, like um, emotions and how people feel about things or, you know, people that you actually know that somehow that is discounted. So that's one part of feminism for me. But there's a lot of different things that are feminism that are not getting talked about. Instead, you guys talk about things like, oh, these these third wave feminists want want all men to die. So that, because men are useless, you know, and like I'm like, what? Who? who which, which woman has ever said that? I've never heard of a woman say that. Oh, oh, wait. There's a there's one person. You mean? Let me check this out. <laughs> you know, so I'm googling it. Like, what the hell? <laughs> I don't think there's been many people since Ayn Rand herself that have said anything about, oh, let's just keep enough men to keep the population going because women could do everything and let's just keep them in basements and milk them for their <laughs> sperm. Yeah, I don't think anything like that. I, I think. Well, you mentioned the the whole uh, uh, not having to in- engage in uh, what you described as uh, kind of uh, male thought processes, which I, I I would have some issue with the characterization, but we'll accept it for now. Uh, in that, I think the, the the culture at large has actually moved away from that to uh, what you would describe as the more feminine um, uh, testifying. Uh, personal experience my living my truth uh kind of thing and i i don't know that i, I don't know maybe that's that, that's that's an anecdotal observation so i, I have a harder time proving it without really posting a well, bunch of links is, but. i'm a biologist by training so i was trained at uc berkeley in in integrative biology which is the um 
which is the evolutionary biology piece. And it talks about, starts from organismal level more um, all the way to ecosystems and things like that. And over history, you know, archaeologically and uh, anthropology and all that. Um, but the real thing is, so from biology, okay, um, I feel that there are differences between men and women, just like there's a difference between a young person and an old person. There are biological differences. And we're just like every other animal. I don't understand why we can't study us. But as soon as you start studying humans, it becomes very political, right? And so you then you get into situations where people get very angry. There might be, uh, you know, trans people who are unhappy about the fact that gender is being portrayed as something real instead of something, you know, something that's uh, made up. You know, there's just a lot of political opinions about um, human biology and what that might mean for us and what the types of decisions we might make. And so it's kind of actually really dangerous. You'd be surprised how dangerous doing biology is, right? Yeah, you can just be can... thrown out for saying the wrong thing and you will never, ever get back into the scientific community because science is now a religion. Okay, well, don't I've... believe. Yeah, don't believe. People treat science as God as if there was such a thing. And I've seen this from both sides, uh, from those who are hyper-secular, who are uh, just uh, knee-jerking at the concept that something could be like that, and then the others who do have some uh, belief that there is a God or that science will lead them to a God that will give them all the answers or something, when them doing the research is the science. <laughs> Well, I mean, and, a lot of people treat certain subjects in the scientific uh, community as being, if you take this position, then you're for science. And if you take that position, you're anti-science. But there's no such thing. Science allows for you to come up with either possible answer, right? The, the, real, the real joy of science is that you might come up with an answer that you weren't expecting. So that applies proven, to all kinds of stuff, like climate science, or it applies to, you know, so... And no, it's definitely. weird that you get attacked from like trans or uh, what? What was the other group that was bothering you for your? Are you research talking about on, me? Yes, for your research no. on humans. No, no, human I bio. haven't done research on humans myself. Uh, I'm just saying that in general, I, because I uh, was trained in biology, I kind of follow a lot of biologists, right? Oh, because uh, they were my friends back in school. I'm a mom. You know, I study how to raise my child properly. That's what I study. And I don't, I don't find that to be an, uh, I, f I think that's a very useful and important thing to study, you know, because if I can do it for one child, I can help other people. Because what's really interesting is we've, through science, discovered a decent, amazing explanation for why trans and uh, non-binary people do very much exist. It's because in the womb, the brain and body experience a DNA sequence separate by an entire trimester. Also, there's the inclusion cool. of... And then there's also the inclusion of uh, the various hormones um, that the mother produces during pregnancy. And if there's more of one type of hormone over another, that can definitely affect not only the way that the brain and the body are um, formed, but also the way that certain um, certain things are structured. Like, there's many scientific cases of situations where a child is born with um, X and Y chromosomes, no extra, no extra sex chromosomes, but they are not born with 
one or more of the um, traditional male body parts. This is a situation where, like, you'll find where men are born missing one or both testes, uh, micro microphallus issues. Uh, a lot of that has been discovered to be less genetic and more hormonal during um, the time in the womb, and that is crazy, like astounding because with that sort of thing happening like why has there not been enough people you know talking about that before now and as someone who is fairly agnostic and read on many um subjects from both religion and culture and anthropology um they might be able to back me up on this there are certain cultures particularly in the um, Polynesian islands and the far East and a lot of native American situations where they um, have for as long as these civilizations have existed, had a reason for had a reason, not only a reason, but a way of inclusion for transgendered individuals. The native Americans would typically consider them as beings with two souls, a man and woman soul or other situations like that. And it's just like, how, if we can look back at these cultures and see these things and then look at the fact that they were erased because of the, um, heteronomization and the, you know, Christian colonization stuff where they want to try and, you know, sequester anything outside of the quote unquote norm um, and make it seem abnormal. Like why so much of that is hard to find. So I don't, I don't disagree that there's a lot of good science that, that talks about why we should be accepting of all the different normal variations in our natural state. I don't I don't disagree with that at all. In fact, what I'm saying is people tend to use science as, you know, I only represent I only present these things that come out of science and I only present the things that support my opinions or my uh, worldview, right? And then um and then they argue that the other side isn't even real science sometimes. So you see that in the vaccination realm where they say these people are anti-vaxxers and you practically can't get a grant to do any type of vaccine research that might come out with a with a, you know, an anti-vaccine sort of a, a report. And people have been thrown out of science for it. Um, there's things happening in climate science that happen that way. You know, if you find something that you're like, wait a minute, I think this mitigates the um, idea that, you know, something could be happening um, that that would prevent, you know, total collapse. It's like people, there's uh, governments that are involved that are funding things. There are corporations involved funding research and the research can be skewed, right? So we have to be careful that not to, not to uh, use science in that way, but everybody does. It feels like things were different before the 1920s. Um, because if you look back at, scientific discoveries going further and further back that if it forced an alteration of worldview, they 
would test and retest and retest to make sure that that change was necessary because the scientific method is basically, you know, we test the, we have a hypothesis, we test it, we look at the results, we interpret the results, and then we retest it, and then we have peers review it, and then we have peers retest it, and nothing is truly cemented. People don't realize that even though our understanding of gravity as we know it is so ingrained into human perception that infants that are just learning how to control their motor skills can do massive uh, calculus level, um, you know, computations in their brain to, you know, figure out, okay, if I throw a ball this way, it's going to hit here and then bounce back to me. Like that is the most innate understanding of gravity. But when you get to the scientific level and them saying, okay, gravity is this, 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 this equation, that is not proven as true because there's still things that have not fully been able to be tested now that we understand quantum mechanics, now that we understand the atom, now that we understand the strong and weak, you know, nuclear forces and more understand electromagnetism because there's so many things in those, there's so many things in that that go against the original understanding of gravity that Newton wrote hundreds of years ago. You guys heard about the replication crisis? Yes, I was just about to talk about that. Uh, There's a couple of big assumptions you have there, Diston, and one of them is that the uh, retesting and peer review process even happens. We have the most scientists in history alive right now, and yet no one gets paid for retesting or confirming any test. You only get paid for discovering new things. Why, why, do you, why do you think that I said up until about the 1920s, this is the way this worked? Because after the Great Depression, we saw a lot more government involvement in paying for these tests, we, especially when it involved the potential for either creating a new energy source or a new form of weapon. And then um, after the Cold War, you saw way more of these corporate entities getting involved in it as well, mostly because of attempting to maximize profits and minimize the um, amount of waste. It's also why you don't see so many people replicating, even though it would be great, um, replicating the studies on the harmful effects of certain agents that are being used in... um, you know, genetic manipulation of crops in, um, you know, making new and better uh, weed killers, etc., like, and stuff like that. Because it does not pay to, you know, try and replicate these things when you can just, you know, go out and make money and then pay for the lawsuits later. So there's actually, I, I love that you brought those two technologies up because they also point to another uh, reason that we need basic income to pay for people. Um, The genetic modification is actually pretty safe when you're using it to boost yields or fight pest resistance or to increase pest resistance or to uh, increase um, any other uh, natural resistances. However, 
There is also genetic modification that creates terminator seeds. Basically, farmers can't reproduce that seed to make a new farmable generation. They have to specifically buy that genetically modified seed again from that corporation. See, you just got on something that actually affects people where I live and people in my own family. Um, My wife's father is a farmer and has been a farmer for a while. And guess what? He used to be able to save his own seeds. He used to be able to go a couple of years without actually buying seeds to replant. But guess what? Now he can't, the seed, the plants don't make their own seeds that he can harvest. So, you know, now he has to buy the seed because the corporations have modified them in that way. And the same thing happens with a bunch of people out here in Montana because there's specific strains of wheat and and corn and other crops that are made um, to handle the slightly more arid um, climate as well as the um, more sand-based soils. Uh, and it just, the fact that these corporations are modifying a plant to make a repeat customer is ridiculous. It's anti-competitive. It's, just a, it's yeah, literally it's biologic antitrust. warfare through economic antitrust. use. It's a monopoly. And it should be called out rightfully as such. And a basic income would be the best way to do that because fa- family farms could finally take control of their actual production. Not only is uh, this one of the big problems, but it's the same exact situation replicates itself in many, many different industries, including that of teaching children. So, for example, uh, the old books don't no longer have copyrights on them. And so there's no reason for publishers to push them. But publishers have found a system where they provide, um, there's something called like AR reading or something like that. I forget what it's called specifically, but um, the teachers in many, many schools are using it as an entire school buys a system, you know, and then they, um, or maybe the whole school district, and then they um, are given, you know, special tests for each book. Every book that is, uh, uh, comes with ratings, you know, it's uh, eighth grade level, it's sixth grade level interest. You know, and and then um, it makes it really easy for teachers and students and parents to pick books based on, you know, the reading level and the reading interest level and things like that. And then the teachers give these little quizzes to them, which is part of the system. And the quiz tells the teacher if you've actually read the book. So that makes it very simple for them to check. Oh, yeah. okay, this person has actually done his homework. And so people use that. But like the older books are not being put on these lists because no, there's no publisher that needs to you know, help that book go through the system. So literally um, there are lots of things you can't read for for free reading time for school. And I will um, give my own personal experience when this uh, system first started showing up. They may have gotten rid of some of the older books like Shakespeare and Twain and stuff over the years. But when I was first Um, in school and they first debuted this around the late 90s early 2000s um, I exploited the ever-loving shit out of it Um, but it's a great program it's a really great program especially for a teacher like my wife who's been having to punch in uh, book reports and reports into these uh, you know different um, 
programs online that she has to sign up for to check for plagiarism. Taking that sort of a test on it, the only ways to pass those tests would be either to be A, reading retaining, or B, having gotten someone to write down the uh, answers to the questions, but but the questions are somewhat randomized within a pool, so it's a lot harder to cheat. Um, but yeah, I used to manipulate that system as someone who, when they started doing that in sixth grade for me, I tested at a college level reading because I was a gifted student. They didn't have a gifted student program in that school though, but because of the way that they, um, organized it, like for every quarter or semester or whatever, you had to read books worth so many points within your reading level. So what I'd do is I'd read like one of Dickens novels or one of Shakespeare's plays. And then that would get rid of my entire semester's worth of reading. And then from there, I'd just read whatever. And that's part of why I read so damn much in school because I just, by the, by the end of my like ninth grade, um, English class, I had accumulated, um, over a thousand books worth of score because they kept track um, on my account with them. And I basically ran out of things to read in the high school library. Yeah, no doubt that a lot of these systems provide much value. I mean, our systems have produced all the medicines that we have today, but our systems have also prevented us from using, you know, thousand-year-old medicines that uh, that come out of China, you know, or other places because, oh, science doesn't know about them yet, and science hasn't done all of these special studies that would cost a lot of money. And I'm like, why would you throw away a thousand years of human civilization, you know, just to just so you could say that science was God now? You know, like, well, again, that's the that's the profit system. And you need to go through the patents so that we can know exactly the chemical that does it so that a company can profit from. it. Yep. And if we had a basic income, that would, again, remove the major incentive to just get profit. That's kind of uh, similar to another thing that I saw happen. Um, My dad is a veteran. Um, He served in the late 70s and early 80s. So he spent a lot of time in. uh, you know, uh, Germany and other areas uh, trying to protect the um, people from uh, the Iron Curtain, um, as well as uh, I think he spent a little bit of time in Korea um, protecting that no combat zone. But the thing is, is because of his time served in the military, he's able to go to the VA for his health care, pay nothing. But something that they instated in his... Um, long-term care facility that he was there for for about a year after he got a gangrenous infection in his um, thigh and uh, butt uh, from working on cars because he's a paraplegic. They went from plastic railings on the beds to a copper um, railing on the beds because they had discovered that Copper does not transmit staph infections. And they were having a huge problem with staph infections and people dying of staph infections at that particular VA hospital. So they did that, and the research for that 
was actually older research before patents, but it was basically a cost-cutting measure because the other way that they could have um, combated it that was a patented thing was more expensive. Yep. And, and that's why we need uh, to have a tax system that actually rewards people for doing amazing innovations like that instead of forcing them to extract it out of the market. Mm-hmm. It's terrible that um, a lot of really interesting medicines or just very basic medicines, old medicines, um, I feel like um, won't get the attention that they need here. But I think that in China, they are going to move on it because of the, the difference in the way that they run the state, right? Uh, there's still a profit motive, but now the profit motive, if the, uh, this is why we want the universal health care and stuff. Um, in Taiwan, for example, the, the health the healthcare motive is now preventative care, right? The healthcare motive is to prevent people from having to enter the system, which will be paid by everybody. So um, that's why we really need that realignment and how, how important it's going to be for everyone to, to uh, be able to have like universal health care. Universal health care means that if somebody else is getting sick, now everybody's going to have to be on the line for it. So you can't just have your nation doing things that can, uh, you know, pollute pollute the environment or get people sick through, you know, like the poor poor choice for food for our children, things like that. These are things that are going to become uh, a public issue, much more so than now. When we talk about public health now, all we talk about is preventing one disease from traveling to another person. But what about chronic illness, right? Our profit motive right now is to keep people chronically ill. Yep. Uh, are you actually there, Angelo? Are you safe? Is things going okay? It's... I'm having technical difficulties, but I'm hoping you guys can hear me. We can. We can. Oh, okay. Do you want to update us on properly. what about the, what's going on at the big fires and uh, where you are? Um, they've expanded westward and are now encircling the city of Tucson. Oh, fun. Yeah, it's become such a normal thing. Uh, at this point that Tucson's weather reports actually have smoke as a weather now. Fun! <laughs> wow. So what do, they, do, they, do they rank it by like how many part particles are in the air or something like that? How do they uh, describe it for you? Um, visibility, basically. Yeah, that that's how they did it in Fargo when we had the uh, smoke from the Saskatchewan fires a couple of years ago. You think that they're going to have the money to buy a mass spectrometer? Well, any amount of particulates in the air is bad for you. There's like no safe, no safe amount that's that's okay. I mean, at least we're already wearing masks. <laughs> um, but I, on the same sort of topic, I don't mean to um, change the topic mildly, but tonight they're supposed to do a fireworks show from Mount Rushmore uh, for the first time in, like, at least two decades. And the reason why they haven't is because of fire hazards. <laughs> it is incredibly dry right now. And I right. think if I... I need to double check, but I think I'm about 90 miles away from Mount Rushmore. It's, like, east-southeast to me. And what the what have the winds been like this month? Pretty high, because they're always Ooh. high in eastern Montana. But, um, you know, uh, I don't know which direction the winds are going, 
But I'm going to have to keep an eye on that too now. I wish you the best. I, I hope it sparks up a nice, nice uh, rainstorm afterward. Are you able to breathe with all that smoke in the air, Angelo? Um, yes, although it has been affecting my voice. Um, for example, yesterday I had actually uh, lost my voice. And I sounded like I was uh, talking through a busted speaker for a while. <laughs> oh, I've had One the same oh, sort of problem. Oh. That may actually be contributing to the um, high high level of um, COVID nineteen cases and uh, people who are getting experiencing more severe symptoms, because I believe that the toxicity of what's happening is actually what what causes the um, the extreme effects. I mean, there's you know, yes, you get the virus, but the, then second of all, you need the toxicity in your region is really important. And I, and I think um, I. I think that there is a way for, especially if there's actual particles of dust in the air, for the droplets to attach to the dust particles. Yeah, we've had, like, light rains, but nothing that's actually managed to even make a dent in the fire. Although part of that could be uh, the amount of grease wood that the fire just hit. Well, yeah, ouch. Oof. <laughs> How often do you get fires, uh down there. I'm used to hearing a lot of them in California, but I don't usually hear as many about Arizona. Um, we typically get fires here at least once a year. Usually they're up on the mountain by um, a mountain or Mount Lemon. Uh, this particular fire, though, is different in that it was started by dry lightning very high up in the mountains where it's very difficult to get um, trucks or other emergency vehicles up there. And the fire just kind of uh, grew out of control because we've had an abnormally uh, dry two years. Well, hopefully they figure out a way to get that taken care of because it's definitely causing more problems than helping right now. Oh, yeah. Well, at least it is a little bit more contained, at least on one side, than it was before. But um, where the fire is heading, it's uh, making a beeline right for the Saguaro National Forest. So that's going to be... Kind of a tinderbox to worry about. Yeah, um, it's definitely a different uh, area in Arizona. Uh, I have no idea what would happen if we had a fire start at Rushmore or uh, anywhere around here due to fireworks because a lot of this is um, grassland and prairie. Um, there's occasional plots of um, farmland where they'll like have soybeans or wheat or corn but a lot of it is just miles upon miles of just natural grasslands that they're letting the beef cattle graze on free range because holy shit there's just there's so much there's so much grassland what's uh, i see that the heat over there is unbearably hot it's 104 degrees my goodness it's a dry heat Oh, it's that was southwest. a few days ago. It's uh, it's much higher than that now. 107, I saw, is coming up. 107 at the peak. I know everyone yeah. gives us shit back in the east for our humidity, but gotta tell you, not having to worry about fires is pretty nice. I'm used to Minnesota, where it's either cold for six months and then hot and humid for six months with tornadoes, or it's just dry and crappy. Well, kind of low you, grade on here. Yeah. The experience of dry heat is a little bit different as you can actually feel your skin start to 
like Titan and Cook. Uh, the best way I can describe the feeling is um, if you're from a human environment, take a hairdryer, put it on the highest setting, and then put it about an inch from your face. That's actually what the wind feels like here when it blows. So are you hiding in your homes where you are? What do, what do you do? Um, typically, a lot of people in Arizona become nocturnal during the summer, if we can. Uh, so we tend to get a lot done um, during like the evening hours when the sun starts setting, or uh, uh, either early morning or late evening. Right. That's why I was hoping to try to move the podcast a little bit later for you, and also for for Jacqueline. Um, I'm actually like a. Um, I've been I've been really on trying to let people know about vitamin C because I think it's really important during this time. Um, People have asked me, like, why vitamin C, why not vitamin D, or these other things that people are talking about. Um, you will hear information from from many doctors about vitamin D or from in, from the news media outlets, but you hardly ever hear about vitamin C. And in fact, there's a kind of a concerted effort to sort of, like, disregard any information that comes up about vitamin C. And I don't know why that is, other than that it's super cheap, Right. And because vitamin D is something that you can create, you can make for yourself. If you just go out and sit in the sun, most people will make some. There are people who can't, but you know that vitamin D is less of a uh, an issue if you can just go outside more. Um, and taking supplements, actually, you would just have to take massive amounts in order to to uh, get as much as you could make for yourself. Um, whereas vitamin C, people don't make for themselves, and it is the the antioxidant um, molecule in your body that is being used by your biological systems. There are other ones, but this is like the most basic one. And so um, people don't know about vitamin C, and nobody's going to tell you about it, but it's super cheap. So for poor people like me, um, it would be really important for people to know about it during this time. It helps you to uh, detoxify your body against anything that's uh, coming in because that's what the antioxidant does. So I put a video in here by Dr. Suzanne Humphreys. I hope that people get a chance to check it out. Um, she goes into detail about why um, humans don't produce it. We've lost one of our enzymes that would normally be in the liver. Um, every other animal, except for three groups, uh, including ourselves, right, uh, do not make their own vitamin C, and they make a huge amount of it, way more than what is being recommended by um, the... Uh, who who are the people that make the the food pyramid and all these things? Is that still the FDA? I don't know. I think so. Yes. Okay. So the rec daily recommended amount is nowhere close to what you need, and especially during a time of crisis, if you're experiencing more toxins in the air, if you're experiencing more, um, you know, possibility of a virus that might be deadly to you, this is a time to really um, do a lot of vitamin C, at least six to eight grams a day, if you're doing it orally. And if you're in the hospital already, that's when Jay, you need wait, wait, You said, well, just real quick, you said six to eight grams of that's pure right. C? That's a fuck um, ton of vitamin yeah. C. Right. So <laughs> normally you get them in one, one gram at a time for adults. You can, you can buy um, emergency tablets pretty easily. So not yeah, too like expensive. A, I, so I, they I have powdered, when there was still they have powdered vitamin C. So, mm -hmm. I mean, all right, so I, I take uh, uh, I, I take a thousand... Or I think one gram of vitamin C every day. That's two 500 milligram pills. What you're talking about is taking 16 six, 500 milligrams. Six to eight. Guys. But you know, you said, we said six to, six to eight grams. So yes, to grams, get, yeah. To, uh, yeah, to eight grams would be 16 of these 500 milligram pills. 
That's right. And it's more than you can possibly eat. Like if you were saying, I'm just going to drink orange juice, which is a lot of people, they hear vitamin C, they say, oh, I'm going to drink some orange juice or put some lemon in my water. No, that is not going to be nearly enough. And the reason is, um, this is something that you use up when you're fighting something. So in order to prevent, it's like if you're, uh, okay, imagine you're uh, barricading against zombies. Okay, you're putting up the barricades. I put up a couple, I got tired, you know, I, I put up a couple. But there's holes, right? You haven't barricaded. So you got to keep barricading until it's completely covered. And then if something's trying to get in, you know, you have to go back there and fix it when, when it comes out. And so vitamin C is really about like flooding your system with it as much as possible. And um, people will say when you ingest it, you don't absorb as much as you, you know, as you would get if they would put it straight into your, as an IV into your veins, which is true. But it's very difficult to get the doctors to do an IVC treatment for you because it's so cheap. And it's not talked about anywhere in any of their, you know, they don't talk about it. <laughs> I mean, literally, nutrition is not one of the required courses for doctors when they when they go to medical school, right? So, um, so these are things that are not being um, shepherded by any pharmaceutical company because they don't make a profit. They don't make a profit off of it. But if you go to a veterinarian who has to cure, right, simple basic diseases. Um, using very, very cheap methods because people are not going to pay hundreds of dollars for medicine for their pets. Sometimes they will. Don't don't be surprised. People really love their pets. But then, um, you know, they would prefer if they had something much cheaper to use. You can ask veterinarians, what do you use IVC for? And they can put they can put a lot more into a pet, like, for example, for uh, in the instance of a snake, snake bite, something like that. If you have a horse that's been bitten by a snake, you might immediately need something. They give them IVC. So when, when you know that um, what it's used for, um, and so basically watch the video. I'm not going to be able to explain it, but, you know, if you get a chance, uh, take a look and see if you can uh, see, you know, see where I'm coming from on this. <clears throat> I was saying if you eat garlic, that's the most, one of the most bioavailable ways to get vitamin C into you, you know, much more bioavailable than in a pill. Not quite. Really? Anymore. That's awesome. Yeah, um, like I just like the powdered garlic is so cheap, and we cook, we put it on everything. We put it on pizza, and we were we like cook everything in it, and I'm just awash in vitamin C all the time, and I'm still alive. So, Maybe oh, well, that's excellent to hear. I think I think to hit uh, eight grams of garlic or eight grams of vitamin C through garlic, you would have to eat like a fucking obscene amount of uh, again. Of, yeah, that's like that's, that's the truth. You can't get enough. Well, so it is. Fun fact is an so, orange. Oh, Jeremy, garlic is at least abundant in fresh. It's a, oh, sorry. It's, it's abundant in fresh garlic, but it is additionally fortified in powdered garlic. So it's just the amount of powdered garlic is probably much lower than the amount of fresh garlic. So it's actually. Well, I'd be I'd be interested into looking into that, uh, but also uh, the thing is, vitamin C when you di when you ingest it, right? Um, it has to be transported into your body using uh, like a sodium pump type of thing. And so, so it requires some sodium. And so sodium is not necessarily completely bad for you, but uh, you do need it in order to absorb your vitamin C well. And then uh, the thing and, is we have know, a system. Your electric, your electric activity in your body, you need sodium, magnesium, and potassium. Very good. But it, so in our bodies, right, we need. What word you're looking for, yeah. Yeah. So in our bodies, um, we need a balance of those things. But we also have a system for uh, recuperating. Uh, I mean, not not recuperating, recouping used up vitamin C. So vitamin C gets used up when you um, 
and when you you know neutralize free radicals, uh, and then your body has a way of re- reusing it, which is why we don't all die from scurvy all the time. <laughs> but uh, but we are living in chronic ill health. So in our country, if you smoke, you need more vitamin C. I'm, I'm, I'm just out of curiosity. I'm, I, I looked up the uh, how much uh, vitamin C is in garlic, and like how much. Like, all right, so what it boils down to 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 hit eight grams of vitamin C through consumption of, of raw garlic, uh, you would have to eat twenty five thousand grams of garlic. So I haven't done the conversion on that yet. That's a uh, isn't a lot that kilos? If it's thousands, thousands are kilograms. Yeah, so twenty five kilos. Uh, Jeremy, look up the amount of vitamin C in broccoli. I think you'll find that one to be quite interesting. So, sorry to uh, kind of, I don't know, I hope I didn't, uh, you know, take us off on a bad tangent, but I feel like it's really important during coronavirus that people get some information about how to maintain their health. And and not just from your doctors who are not going to be talking about this. And in fact, probably don't know about it. We need universal basic vitamin C now. (laughs) (laughs) luckily income might help yeah income would probably you can exchange goods and services for money yeah so a broccoli has uh, 89 89 milligrams per 100 grams of vitamin c so if if, if you eat 100 grams of broccoli now you get uh, 89 milligrams so to to uh, corroborate on the things that i'm talking about um they actually adopted the vitamin uh, intravenous vitamin C for the um, COVID-19 patients as part of their treatment in Shanghai. So this is something you can look up. Um, and there's a, oh, I'll just send you the link. I'll try to find it for you. Have you guys le- heard of Linus Pauling? That's another another way to find out more about vitamin C. I've like got all these great keywords that you guys can look up. So <laughs> I'll put it in the live stream as I find it. Yeah, it's definitely good to try and maintain you know, some matter of health um, as you can. And as stated before in social and the uh, Twitter messages, I'm still not entirely sure if my sore throat is a, you know, deal, a mix of like just acid reflux and, you know, adjusting to the, new allergens in the air uh, in eastern Montana because we didn't move here until uh, August uh, last year. So um, this is my first full summer here, and there's a lot of, like, just hay and dirt and dust in the air when it blows wind and stuff. So, I mean, it could be allergies. It could be COVID. I don't fucking know. But I know I'm, I wear my mask, and I wash my hands pretty religiously. So I'm trying to do my best. It's very hard to maintain one's health for yourself, but it's easier to help other people. Who I don't know. For me, it's easier to talk to other people about what they should do than to do what I should do. You know. <laughs> yeah, so I'll definitely check out your uh, that uh, that vitamin C thing that you uh, posted there. But there's also been um, a lot of stuff coming going around, or, or I guess surrounding vitamin D. And uh, have, have you looked into that? I had a uh, deficiency. About a year and a half ago, that was uh, pretty alarming for vitamin D. It can kind of sneak up on you, especially uh, with everybody more indoors right now. Yeah, vitamin vitamin D is a common deficiency in people because of our current lifestyle, and, and you know, addition to um, possible like uh, genetic uh, variables. But the real um, 
the real concern right now is vitamin C because of COVID-19. Now, if you have uh, vitamin D is something that doctors often talk about, and they will prescribe you vitamin D supplements. But you've never heard, I don't, I've hear, barely ever hear of a doctor ever prescribing a vitamin C supplement, which is why I decided to talk about that more. Vitamin D is not, um, is not something that you probably need to get from a supplement, but what you need to do is go outside. And so doctors also don't prescribe that as, as, as often. In fact, um, I had a situation where I was incarcerated, as you probably many of you know. Um, and while I was incarcerated, I needed a definite, you know, strong supply of vitamin D in order to stay healthy, being uh, always kept in, right? So, um, but we, I was incarcerated in, in Los Angeles. So I could go outside for, uh, you know, some exercise during certain times. But it was on this little, um, we were on a tall building, like a Sheraton Hotel type of building. And it had like a, a terrace. You could go out onto this terrace. It was small. So not enough for everybody to be out there very easily together. Um, but And there was only a certain number of hours during which you could get sunshine. And then after that, the sun passed the building and you would just get shadow. So you could only be, you, like you had to make sure you, be, you were outside at a certain time every day. So I would uh, make the effort, you know, to go outside and get my sunshine. But the thing is, if I was, uh, I went down to the doctor and I said, you know, hey, um, we need to tell everybody to go outside, right, during these hours and make sure that they get their sunshine because I noticed other people aren't doing it, right? And he was like, well, unfortunately, I can't give that advice because, right, uh, there are studies that show that you're more likely to get cancer if you get more sunshine, and so the one cancels the other out, so we just give everybody oral vitamin D. So this is why they won't give that advice. <laughs> they literally are like afraid of being sued. If somebody gets skin cancer or something, they'll come in and say, oh, you gave me cancer because you told me to go outside. But which one would you rather use? Would you rather buy vitamin D every day for the rest of your life, or would you rather go outside? This is why I have disagreements with the medical community. So basically, we're like plants. We can photosynthesize our own vitamin D. Right. So we create vitamin D ourselves, and, and the stimulus is sunshine. And so it's necessary in order to stimulate the, the production of it. And vitamin D, I think, is produced in like stages. And so one of the stages requires sunshine. And if you don't have enough vitamin D, then you start getting problems with your thyroid and with other problems. Like, it's all connected, right? If you don't have vitamin D, you can't process your thyroxin and your thyroid hormones and stuff like that don't uh, doesn't produce the correct response so some people like me like I have Hashimoto's thyroiditis so I'm uh, specifically concerned about how my thyroid functions because my body attacks my own thyroid I have an autoimmune disease right and this is actually a very common disease but again doctors don't want to find out if you have Hashimoto's what they want to find out is are you deficient or are you uh, hyperproducing? So they want to find out if you're hypothyroid or hyperthyroid. And that's all they test. They won't give you a very, there's a very simple test to find out if you have um, an autoimmune problem. And it's uh, like a TPO, it's thyroid peroxidase or something like that. If they find that in your body, they know that your body's attacking. So it's a very simple test, but they just won't do it. Because they say, well, you know, all we need to know is if you're low or if you're high. If you're low, we give you this medicine. If you're high, we give you that medicine. If we know that you're autoimmune problem, right, we don't do anything about it. Like, you still have to be either high or low for us to do something. So the doctors see it a certain way. 
that doesn't match with like what you as a person would want to know. I as a human being want to know what is the cause of my problem, right? <laughs> they want to know what do we need to treat. So they have a different view of what needs to be done. Yeah, my mom also has that. Unfortunately, I have, because of knowing this, been tested for that and tested negative, but they do know that I have uh, developed a celiac, um, or at least it's become way more prevalent in the last six years. So that's where my immune problems are. Well, celiac is a very serious immune problem. Are you doing your correct diet for that? Why, yes, I am. I'm doing as best as I can. It is very, 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 very annoying to have to go to the store and read every spice to make sure that they don't add, like, wheat or barley as a filler or using um, barley caramel or barley-based caramel coloring for things. It is ridiculously annoying. Yeah, so you have, as a celiac, you have to avoid things like gluten. Yep, wheat, barley, and rye. I can't drink anything but corn corn whiskey if I would drink any whiskey at all. Yeah, um, uh, so I have some chronic health uh, friends, uh, a friend who is working on chronic health issues, and he often says that uh, grass is really the problem, is that humans were not supposed to be eating grass, and there's a lot of uh, grass, and there are different grasses which we call grains, and we're eating the, you know, these grains that are really bad for us. So celiac is just an expression of, you know, like a generally human trait that we were not, suppo- we were not to meant to tolerate this much uh, grass in our diet. Yeah, it's uh, definitely one of those things where it's like um, your body just, it doesn't lack the bacteria to take to, um process it because if it lacks the bacteria to process it it'd be um an intolerance but instead it sees these molecules of this particular protein in those plants of that family as an invader almost like it's a bacteria or a virus and then starts just going haywire and attacking everything in your stomach when it show or in your intestines when it shows up there it's like god damn it well to bring it back to ubi and everything um it it feels like our food industry has been co-opted by you know these giant corporations that want to make make profit again and so if we gave the money back to the people we would naturally choose more hopefully better better foods for us yeah i mean it definitely helped me because even a thousand dollars a month would help uh, cut the food cost for me because we've definitely gone a lot more uh, natural, I guess you would put it. Um, Cause like if we're going to do something that would be similar to what most people do is like buy a box of hamburger helper and a box of hamburger. Well, what we have to do is we have to buy the hamburger and then buy, you know, the potatoes and all of the various you know, different things to make the um, the casserole or the hot dish or whatever you call it out of the hamburger and the potatoes because typically where you find the wheat in those types of things is in the seasonings because it's a great filler and cheap. 
Well, it's very difficult to cut certain foods out of your diet. And um, like when I, I when I was trying to avoid um, eggs for my for my son who was allergic to eggs and tested allergic for it. Um, you know, it was really difficult. I'd like walk up and down the aisles of the of the market and just think, wow, there's all of this food that he can't eat. <laughs> and that's true for like probably the top five ingredients, right? If you're allergic to any or several of them, you'd be out of luck in trying to, you can't use most of the grocery store. You just have to stick to your fruits and vegetables and your, and your meats if, if, and the ones that you can eat. Yeah, because the big ones are egg, peanut, wheat, or gluten and milk and did I mention egg already? No, I soy. don't remember. Soy, yeah. soy, soy. Yeah, soy is a big one, and a lot of those come from yeah grains and stuff. Uh, so anyway, the but the real problem, of course, is that if people had more money and more power, then we naturally would choose those things. So entire gluten-free industry has popped up, right? And at first, it was super expensive to get the gluten-free options. And now it's starting to, the prices are starting to come down as more people are providing those. So, so the consumer has the power, but we keep giving the money to up at the top, you know, allowing them to, to determine for us, like, for example, what children get to eat in schools. I think like, that's like the, the biggest thing for me is that they shouldn't be pushing this food to, through school systems, you know, to the kids. So I'd love to see more variety in that, but I don't know how um, how we would be able to do that if we just don't make the people more powerful, you know? People should not fear the government. Government should fear their people. V. <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> um, I was telling everybody about this great, uh, like, uh, Netflix Better, thing. you got to add that dramaticness to it. I, I've been watching this uh, Netflix show called um, Money Heist. I highly recommend it to everybody. It's uh, completely, it's filmed in Spain, in Spanish, so all the people speak Spanish, but, you know, if you can handle subtitles, it's about a modern uh, sort of Robin Hood-style story, um, where uh, the people are still, they're going to print money at the Royal Mint, uh, so they print, like, all these euros, like a billion dollars, a billion euros, and they, um, and they are giving it to themselves but themselves are representatives of the poor people and so there's like all this story so the entire story is sort of built around um trying to get people to empathize with the with the poor people who are doing this heist job and um it's sort of kind of interesting i think you would all enjoy it basically yeah it sounds like something i would enjoy uh it is 105 should we uh should we say our goodbyes for the day here sure um, you guys ready to take off? I am. You want to say goodbye? Yeah. Yep. Okay. So um, I am Palestine Math at on Twitter. If you want to find me there. Uh, Jeremy. Hi. Uh, yeah. You guys can follow me on Twitter at Jeremy Sammons One. That is J E R E M Y S A M M O N S and the number one. A Sheridan. Thank you, Shale. I'm Sheridan. You can follow me on Twitter at J Sabergamer. J-S-A-B-E-R-G-A-M-E-R. Thank you. Uh, Angelo? You can find me at Hellion Hellfire. Thank you, Angelo and Diston. Uh, you can find me on Twitter, Twitch, YouTube, pretty much everywhere. Diston Plays. It's D-I-S-D-O-N-N-P-L-A-Y-S. Uh, Moto had to step out, but his Twitter is Moto Motes, and uh, mine is 
Shale Riley. That's at S-H-A-E-L-R-I-L-E-Y. Thank you for listening. We will be back again with more basic income advocacy tomorrow. So take care. Take care. Have a good one. Stay safe and healthy, people. Bye-bye. Thank you, everyone. Thank you for listening. 